listening to Wyoming Park Bible Fellowship's midweek podcast, which will be discussing last Sunday's sermon, Do Not Misuse God's Name, which is from the series on the Ten Commandments. I'm Becky Watson, and I'm here with Pastor John, my pastor and dad. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Good to see you again. Yep. And I'm really excited because I'm here with my friend and sister, Katie Morgan. How are you today? Very good. I'm excited to be here. So Pastor John's with two of his daughters. So yeah. this will be exciting one way or the other. <laughs> it will for sure. When was, when was the last time we ever had a chance? I know, to just the up? three of us? No kids or anything? Wow. It's a strange combination. Every <laughs> once in a while, you know, there'll be some really odd combination of our kids doing something here. And they would say, wow, this is a weird, <laughs> a weird trio or whatever. So. This is a real power Power team right Yeah, that's good. Joel Dream Team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of words between the three of us, for sure. Yeah. So, well, it's fun. And um, and just to recap the message from yesterday, I, I think rather than uh, go over every point, I'll just mention the three ways that I noticed that I have a tendency as a sinner to violate this commandment and misuse God's name. And the the easiest way or the most recognizable way is for me to use it in my speech, for me to profane by borrowing God's name or his a reference to him to make my statements sound more important or more exciting. And that's a tendency that we all have is we borrow from God's name to somehow make our speech seem more powerful. But the sin behind that sin is also the idea that I am trying to take God's glory for my own. You know, it's easy for us to borrow other people's glory. You know, if our, if our best friend was Tom Brady, we would probably name drop, right? We'd say, yeah, well, my Tom Brady was over, and yeah. he, I was giving him a few tips about how to throw a football. And, you know, it would be robbing Tom's glory to give me some. Oh, are you on first-name basis with Tom Brady? <laughs> well, if I were. <clears throat> And then, uh, of course, so that's part of it, right? So when we misuse God's name, we're taking something that he should be getting the credit for, and we try to take it. And it can actually happen without even thinking about his name, right? It's a pride problem. And then the third way that I recognize in myself a tendency to misuse his name is to, to somehow use God's word or his reputation or his, his name to baptize my agenda, to make it look like my agenda is really God's agenda, not mine. And so I distort God's purposes for my own personal use. So that's, those are the three really big ideas that I tried to unpack. And it was exciting to see how Jesus never did any of those mm -hmm. things. And, uh, and so fulfills all righteousness. So my first question would be, for you would be, is why? Why is it? that we as human beings tend to use profanity in our speech. We talked about it a little bit in the message. It's sort of an easy question, but but not really. Think about that. Why do we tend to, why do we want to go towards that without even thinking? Um, it wasn't mentioned in the message or in the um, Zoom yesterday, but oh, I think a lot of people, and I am guilty of using it um, to cause humor. To, to, so sometimes it's so surprising when it comes from someone you don't expect to say a, a dirty word or a bad word to say something and then people just laugh because I think it's it's surprising there's a surprise factor mm -hmm. but then also a, a shock or yeah. that is a surprise but um, also it's it funny when someone else value. yeah when someone else swears that's not a believer 
I nervously chuckle, ha ha ha, that's yeah. funny. And because I don't know how else to respond to that statement. Yeah, I was thinking that too, that there's something, I think it's maybe a ploy of the enemy to distort God's name in that way, that there's just something sticky about it mm. that it just makes it easy, kind of almost in a, a weird way, a apologetic for the existence of God, the way that people who don't even believe in God would use his name in a, in a profane way or, or for humor's sake. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it was nothing, you don't, you don't hear, or very rarely do you hear other deities be used as a profanity uh, or other belief systems or, you know, science or something, you know? So it's just kind of, um, you know, the uh, Satan can only distort he can't create and he distorts god's name mm-hmm. in that way i agree i think it's there's something about it mm-hmm. yeah you're, you make a good point we don't we don't use isaac newton's name as an expletive you know it's mm-hmm. just not if there's something automatic about our sin nature that that disregards the holy of god and and i do think it's um just like jesus said anything more than this comes from the evil one it's there's an intentionality behind the um, the evil one as a person to cause the holy name of God to be disreputed, to be misused. And it's interesting that even when you think about that, it appears in one of the Ten Commandments seems to be an indication that this is a core thing that mm. we have. And and like you say, it, it's uh, even humorous, right? Part of what makes funny funny is the surprise or the out of context, right? That just so weird that a, a person would be at a wedding in a clown suit, right? I mean, that's what makes it funny is that it's so out of place. And it's and and so we sometimes lean on that profanity to be entertaining, right? It's one of the ways we mock and it makes us laugh, for sure. Also, I think <clears throat> that um, it is a lazy way to add gravity to your words without taking the effort to find more vocabulary or arguments um that works with other swear words too you have ever heard someone they just like just like they keep going back to the same swear word because they they don't want to take the time to actually think about specifically what they're saying Mm -hmm. and so it's like trying when you borrow from the glory of god Mm -hmm. for such a stupid uh purpose is especially profane right like if you can't even take the effort to figure out what you're saying or why you're saying it so you just swear so that you don't have to um that's particularly true in sub some subcultures because both tony and trish torres have military backgrounds and they both um, brought that up yesterday in the zoom that that in the military part of the basic training is this um, surprising amount of content that's profane and swearing and yelling to somehow drill into the new recruits that this is serious business now. You know, well, this is this is way weightier. The rules are different now because it's all really, really. You have to. Um, follow, I'm really angry you, now. You follow yeah. my orders. This is no longer uh, kind, polite public discourse. This is I'm your drill sergeant and blankety blank, you're going to do what I say. Mm -hmm. And so there's a power component that in a subculture does actually function and produce some of that effect. 
But the sad thing is, is that as culture shifts and these words become less and less offensive, then what are they going to replace it with? How, you know, without a, a level of decency, then how can the military culture be more um, powerful when it needs to be? And I think it goes back to that laziness. Right. You know, it could, um, I'm not going to try to pretend that I would know how to provide an alternative, but could a, a leader say, this is important or else you will die, instead of having to use a bunch of expletives? Mm-hmm. Well, so. I, yeah, and I was thinking of like people are making um, arguments on a podcast I was listening to, and the person on it was just like trying to demonstrate how outraged or angry they were. But they they couldn't think of anything except to keep swearing about it, you know, like this blank is this blank and this blank is like, okay, but like, this is not persuasive, you know, it's just, just demonstrating. It's not, it's not going to change anyone's mind unless they really care about what you think, you know, so. Yeah, it's a challenge and Jesus's words to let your yes be yes and no, no are really yeah. a high call. Just, just like everything in the Sermon on the Mount, um, it's a super, super high moral standard. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, and recently, I think we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago in a podcast that I'm starting to see the Sermon on the Mount through a new lens and that it's super frightening, not super encouraging uh-huh. because the, re- the righteousness requirement is so high. But then, oh, it's Jesus who does it. So yeah. it's super encouraging that way. But it, it, but if you'd have asked me 20 years ago, I would have said, oh, man, Sermon Mount's the way we should live in a way as if I thought I could actually do so instead of um, recognizing that it's a picture of Jesus's perfect righteousness and I can learn from him, not that I could accomplish it in myself. I think his grace was working, mm-hmm. even if I wasn't cognizant of that. That's part of another subject. That's, it's just the journey. Yeah. yeah. So um, another layer of the question then is how do we, um, where do we um, take credit for God's work? Where do we steal his glory in our lives? What are, what are typical places that we're prone to do that? Not with our words necessarily, but just with kind of feeling smug about our accomplishment or whatever. Where, where would that happen, do you think? Um, well, when I, when I worked at camp, every Saturday, we as counselors would come together and go around and share stories about great things that happened, like little testimonies from the week. And I think that a lot of those <laughs> ended up being, look how good of a counselor I was. This was a super hard week. I did all these things and I survived and all this. And I don't think it was always um, humble because you're in a microphone with all of your peers and let me tell you about how good it was. It can almost feel competitive, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. yes. Of like, oh, I, I suffered more you know, mm-hmm. this week than anyone else. But another thing that the camp also did, which I, I feel conflicted about, was there was a count, a weekly count of how many campers got saved this mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that was a dangerous statistic to mm-hmm. keep track of. Mm-hmm. Or to push, yeah. It's a good news thing, and it can be greatly encouraging. But indirectly, our sin natures are quick to start scorekeeping as if we're the ones making the right, difference. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, if it was, like, I guess, with a small BBS, one kid could save you. It's crazy exciting. But for this camp, you know, like, by the end of the summer, it was 400, 500 campers. You know, like, that's a, that's a lot of people. It's a great number. The camp does a great job at witnessing to them. I'm not sure actually knowing the number each week was effective. It, it raises money. 
right for the camp. I mean, there's super the the incentive structures are there. It could have been. And what if you were a counselor that had less um, conversions Conver- yeah. in your cabins? Um, would you think that had, or if you had more, right? Like, where would you place the credit right. for that? I had a camper reject her relationship with Christ during the week, so I was like, I have a negative one. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure how that works. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> so the, it's an interesting, it's an interesting case because it's not always bad, right? The Bible says that 3,000 were added to their number that day, and then elsewhere, you know, daily new people were joining, and then, you know, the Pharisees started joining. So there's there's good news components, but the counting, you know, when David counted his people, his soldiers, it was a great travesty. There was a, he very, very much was punished for that, Mm -hmm. because they weren't supposed to rely on their own strength and accomplishment, and, uh, and we as Western civilization, when we hear that story about David counting the mm-hmm. people, was what we think, what's the big deal? Yeah. Why, mm-hmm. such a, what's, why such a backlash? But mm-hmm. there's something going on that mm-hmm. steals God's glory that way. I think another thing, another aspect is like when, if you happen to, if God has worked in your life and, and brought you to the place where you're victorious over a particular sin, um, to look at other people who are not victorious and then be like, wow, you know, they really don't have it figured out. And you're like, judge, you're judge. I found myself mm-hmm. being judgmental of other people, not taking into account a, why am I victorious? Mm-hmm. It's not me. It's mm-hmm. Christ who's within me. B, I don't know their whole story. They might have a lot of victory over where they used to be or, or what, you know, you're like, I don't know all the details. Maybe God's working in a different way in their life that, mm-hmm. that I need to work on. Mm-hmm. Got a blind spot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but um, I find myself doing that a lot. Because mm-hmm. that is an inadvertent way of me taking credit for God's work. Yeah. I, I would think that there's maybe another variable in there. And that is that um, sometimes spiritual victory in one area is a compensatory psychological trick we play mm-hmm. on ourselves to justify failure in another area and so you know i can i can think about all the people i apologize to because i cut them off in traffic and still actually treat my loved one with great disrespect and so it's like a peripheral guilt feeling that's actually symptomatic of a heart sin mm-hmm. um there's so pro- I, I wonder sometimes about that too that because when we really are victorious over something that we have been truly humbled and, and repented of and we're just so ashamed the I think when we really do business the right way the other side of that victory is not pride it's embarrassment and shame that it took so long for us to submit that part of our lives to Jesus yeah so I, I wonder something. and there's also an aspect to we can talk because we are lawyers constantly justifying ourselves Mm -hmm. um and there's certain things that just personality wise are not going to be as hard for us to be victorious over as other things right Mm -hmm. like just personality wise it's not hard for me to be polite because i there's i just hate it when people don't like me so i just do everything i can to be polite and make people like me so you know so that's not a hard sin for me so i can't 
you know compare it to somebody else who's got a different there's wire. some uh, other sins that that probably come from the same coin yeah, as that yeah. that need to to be worked out yeah. and that that would take a lot more work wouldn't it you know so the other thing that katie that you remind me of that the lord has been convicting me of lately is the um coolest prayer request con- mm. contest right mm. and so many times in my life um and it's important to share prayer requests. And that's, we're supposed to pray for one another. We're supposed to confess our faults to one another and all those things. So the, that process is necessary and good. But I can see my sin nature spring into play so often. And um, most of the time, my prayer requests are kind of boring compared to somebody else whose family is going through some really deep trauma. And um, in recent days, I've had some deeper sufferings, and it's been sort of this, um, I have to admit that there's sort of a little bit of a, finally, I've got a big one to, mm. to ask people to pray for. Sure. And, and boy, the Lord really hit me with that in my heart, that I was, that I was um, using real suffering in my life to somehow draw attention, oh, poor me, and and. And uh, that's wrong. And so, in mm-hmm. some ways, I've even learned that I need to be let my yes be yes and no be no, even in that category of my life. To, it's true and right to admit my failings and the struggles that we face, but not to um, do so in a way that, in my heart, is um, one upping somebody else's yeah. prayer requests. Mm-hmm. Well, the other side of that is humbling ourselves enough to ask for prayer for small things. I've talked to people before who were worried about something, uh, you know, like a job thing. And I said, oh, you should share that at the, with our prayer request um, group. Oh, no, I, I don't. You know, because like, it, was, it was embarrassing to them to ask for something small. But that's actually a really good discipline to us. For sure. I think the whole idea that we have that there are small requests so significantly misrepresents how much Jesus cares about us on the detail level, right? It may be true that the earthly friends you have don't care about your little trivial hangnail and stuff like that, but Jesus actually does. Mm -hmm. And when we insult him by thinking he doesn't care, we are being persuaded by the enemy, Mm -hmm. not by him, because he wants us to see him as his, as our most intimate friend Mm -hmm. all the time. So yeah, that's a whole other way, isn't it? Any other thoughts about that? Um, I was going to say that in within the church in particular, we've already kind of confessed some of our religious things, but it is possible for a church, one of the people in the Zoom yesterday mentioned that there can be corporate pride, right? A church can take pride in its performance and its public reputation and that it's a happening church and my church is better than your church kind of thinking. And, and I think that that's a dangerous way to go too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I was running attic after school numbers was really for the first couple of years my primary goal and that was wrong that was that was putting my pride like i can bring these kids and i can do it i can do it with all these things like t-shirts and pizza and, and cool leaders and cool space but it really was attic after school was its best my last year with darwin helping and with uh talk time being more and more about jesus than anything else and that was Ironically, the best year with numbers and the best year with uh, the best year I have with numbers. Darwin has far more students than I ever had. Lucky him (laughs) with all their drama. 
But yeah. um, it was it was really God really blessed that year with spiritual growth, with His hand and with mm-hmm. His work with those students. Um, so it's not that the numbers don't matter. It's that when you put your focus on the right priorities, right. that God blessed, and, right. then, and then we all knew it was Him, right. not our agenda. Right. That is, you know, the more charismatic we are as individual personalities, or the more skilled we are as leaders, the more prone we are to, to take credit for mm-hmm. our own strength. And that's why I'm so struck by Paul's value of ministry is that he came in weakness and trembling. He he would meditate on or did so thoroughly understand what was at stake that he realized that he was not up for the task and that he had to preach Jesus because otherwise it would be dependent on his power. And the last thing he wanted was for other believers to have their faith based on how cool Paul is. Mm. And man, if there was anybody who would, in a cult of personality, I mean, I would pick Paul as my hero. I'd want to follow him for Sure. sure. But he would want his followers to so much not depend on him, but on the Jesus that he talked about. Mm-hmm. That he went out of his way to hide his intellectual prowess and his his oratorial skills. You know, the the way he talks about his own speech, you know, he was he was a top notch dude in his pre conversion life. Right, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and so. Um, it's interesting. He he was so gracious. It's encouraging because I I often, especially lately, do not feel up to the task, you know. And if we were, if it were dependent upon our, our skills, mm-hmm. it'd be hopeless, really. Especially mm-hmm. for a small church in Wyoming Park. Yeah. For for me, you know, to you know, like this unimportant person to make any difference. Mm-hmm. But thankfully his power is made perfect in our weakness. Yeah. And it's actually in our weaknesses that we rejoice. Um, and it it can sound like an excuse for not being super great that we just, oh no, I'm just gonna celebrate my weakness. And you know, the person who has all the charismatic gifts of a strong personality. I don't mean charismatic in a theological sense. I just mean in the general sense, right? A, a strong, really attractive person. Right? Um, they would say, "Yeah, you're just you're just trying to find a way to um, cover your lack of slick." Mm. And um, um, yes, you actually, understand. that is part of it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and and so for me to say, well, "I'm going to just be faithful and I'm going to just be celebrate my weakness." can't be used as a cop-out it's not supposed to mean that i'm going to be messy on purpose and you know um, excuse poor work for the king Um, but there's a component of the other side is that there are those who are slick who um, run the risk of thinking that it's their slickness that is the key and not the, the power of the holy spirit so when we, we have fellow believers who are, we need to pray for them that their own pride would not. And we need to celebrate the gifts, not criticize them because we're envious. Like that would just right. be another variation of our sin. But we need to be aware that they're in dangerous spots. And if God would give us a period of strong footprint, we need to remember where it came from, not from ourselves. Mm-hmm. You were going to say something, I thought. Um, I was just going to say that the fruits of the gospel in the, in the grace given to those who are humble produces the fruit of 
discipline and knowledge and gentleness. And so that you would you will become a better teacher when you do those things. Like you said, like you you did receive the fruit from the yeah. humility. So the reason we know that it doesn't excuse sloppiness is because we know that focusing on the gospel, abiding in Christ produces fruit and fruit that will last, you know? So it's, there's that, it's like a built in, this is the way it's supposed to happen, you know? That yeah. you, ask the third question because I've got a good answer for it. Um, which one, <laughs> which one of the three, the, uh, uh, the distorting God's purpose one? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that one. So yeah, the third layer was, you know, so the first one is profanity and speech. The second one was stealing God's glory. But the third one is distorting his purpose to make it our own or take our purpose and try to make him blame him for it. Mm. So what, what's okay. your comment on that? Do you want to answer first, Katie? Or you want... uh, no, you can go ahead. Um, I was thinking about people who take the name of the Lord and they use it for um, commercial use oh. or business use oh, yeah. like the christian company mm. um there's been a recent story about um, dave ramsey kind of doing this but i've experienced it in a job i've had before where a secular company totally secular you know it was an engineering company and then the boss was a christian probably a devout christian probably a real christian that loved jesus but confused what I mean, he used the language of church inside the secular business meeting and sometimes would close in prayer or sometimes would talk about our mission as a company would be the same as God's mission for our life. Mm. And um, for me, who was a Christian, I recognized that that wasn't always congruent. But imagine my coworkers who are not Christian being essentially forced to... Yeah, I remember those days, too. I worked with, I was a contractor for that company, and and it was very frustrating because it was so manipulative to the yeah. unbeliever that not only were they being asked to work extra hours, they were being asked to work extra hours for Jesus, for a company, which was really just... But it really wasn't for, for Jesus. No, it was for profit, and, to, and it was some sort of a a way of motivating them to put in the extra hard service as if it was somehow meritorious for their souls instead of the reality was that they were being overworked hmm. by a lot and almost abused in some ways. And and that, that one really bothered me too. Well, and what it really misunderstands is um, how should a Christian boss be? Yeah. Should be someone who's fair and upfront about the... Um, the uh, uh, expectations of the position um, and compensate employees fairly, but then also give them free time so they can go home and be with their families and go to church and and serve. I mean, that's what a Christian boss should be, someone who actually seeks the separation of the business aspect from their faith. And what is even more frightening to me is that when you combine those two, and especially it gets confusing in a Christian-y sort of for-profit business, like Mm -hmm. maybe you publish Christian books or curriculum or you're a Christian speaker or something like that, and you have a lot of 
uh, monetary success, you're making a lot of money, you have a lot of influence, and you start to interpret that as God's blessing, and your ministry and your business is the same thing, that sounds exactly like the people that Jesus spoke about that said, um, Lord, Lord, didn't we do hmm. signs in your name? Which uh, was an uh, interesting uh, comparison to the third commandment. And he'll say, I never knew you because you used, you used my name hmm. for your purposes, hmm. but you didn't use, but that was a profane use of my name. You marketed to my people. And you, yeah, I get that for sure. Hmm. Katie, did you? Yeah, um, one of my neighbors sent me a YouTube video, um, and she thought I'd be interested into it. She knows I go to church and um, stuff like that. So I started watching it, and it was the seven-minute video. Like I felt like the first three minutes, the guy said, "I have received prophetic word from the Lord." He said that over and over again. He said God several times, and said, "Make sure he said." Over and over. So like he was adding a lot of weight to what he was going to credibility yeah. because I received this yeah. and I'm going to share it to you. And he also had to say, I don't know what it means several times <laughs> because he doesn't. And it wasn't a prophetic word from the Lord. After I heard his first two points, I was like, oh, wait, first point. I was done. I yeah. knew, I knew it was just crazy, but join my pyramid scheme because the Lord said yeah, something. Yeah, worse than that probably. Uh, but um, I just thought that was interesting and in hearing this yeah. sermon that. That's what he did. He was throwing God's name around. Um, and a slightly different one, I, I've heard uh, it done as a joke. Someone, they were hungry. So when they prayed, they said, Dear Heavenly Father, amen. I'm hungry. It's going to be a short prayer. And I was in, in light of this sermon, I felt like, wow, that was, that was really disrespectful mm-hmm. to, to say Jesus' name and then not care. Like just go through like, Walking into God's house and then walking back out, you know, just mm-hmm. turning their back to. But in that case, it was for the sake of what? Why yeah, were they like doing? Yeah, like why them? did you pray at all if you're just hungry? If you weren't going to say anything, if you were just going to lift up God's name for emptiness, mm-hmm. but yeah. or maybe to look like you would. Yeah, yeah or like or, or treating prayer as um, well. We always pray before dinner, so we're going to just a, do it. Checkbox. Yeah, I guess that's a whole nother side, isn't it? That sometimes the routines of our life, like praying before our meals, right. you know, that can become so mm-hmm. hollow and meaningless because of the repetition and the ritual that mm-hmm. we are actually doing that. We're picking up his name for a vain and mean empty purpose. That reminds me of the tone you use when you're putting your child to bed. And yes, going to I was just going to say that. <laughs> you're like... <laughs> Dear Jesus, thank you for this thing. You whip it through your prayer because you're so irritated. How long <laughs> you're just like, get it done, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. What, what, what a difference it would make if I stopped and said, okay, even if they, you know, she can probably tell oh, yeah. that I'm annoyed oh, yeah. and say, I'm going to spend time yeah. in prayer here and I'm yeah. going to change my tone and I'm yeah. going to, yeah. I mean, that would be a real, a real uh, testimony to her instead of, why are we doing this incantation? Yeah. When Owen, when I do a fast prayer, then Owen does his prayer. And he goes a long time, you know, because he loves Jesus, you know, and he tells Jesus also, about his he day. wants to delay bedtime. Delay so bedtime. He tells Speaking Jesus. of which, you guys would ask the most profound theological questions as I was walking out of your room 
<laughs> now we know what freedom feels like when you're um, walking out of the bedroom and that last <laughs> it's so close and, and I would have to answer these complex theological questions and, and how can you you can't just say well that doesn't matter go to bed <laughs> you guys knew how to beat me yeah. Eddie's been doing that lately too like when um, I'm listening to a podcast in the car she'll be like mom why did Jesus die on the cross <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's a really good question, so I guess I'll have to answer it. Uh, maybe uh, the thought occurs to me that maybe we should say, I'll pray with you in the morning. <laughs> we'll start the day with prayer. Let's go to bed. Um, well, thanks for the great conversation. and, and um, We need to make sure that even our uh, confession of weakness isn't manipulative, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And and we are dealing with a real person, mm-hmm. and he is really good to us. And mm-hmm. so the truth is the truth. And I mean, I can't wait till all of those sinful um, inclinations in my heart aren't even part of the story anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And there's coming a day that we'll be freed from that. So I do think that one of the evidences of God's grace in my life um, is that he is increasing my desire and my love of pray a prayer praying to him it used to be when i thought about it i would feel full of guilt and be like oh that sounds hard and now i'm like getting he's changing my desires this is not me it's him and i think oh i wish i had more time to do that i want to do that more and it is um it is god's will that we would become sanctified and so we have this we do get to experience the thrill of learning to to take his name more seriously here on earth and that is a real a real blessing when he puts forth that change in our hearts he's he's a person Hmm. not a religion Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's a really great breakthrough i guess katie would you close in prayer for us sure julian father god thank you um for for sharing with us these these the laws the the ten commandments Lord that you um, uh, ex- it desire that we obey and that we follow thank you that Jesus is the only one that can follow them to completion Lord thank you for sending Jesus to die for us and to forgive us where we mess up and we fail so badly thank you for your love Lord Jesus Amen thank you for listening to our midweek sermon discussion. Um, If you'd like to learn more about our church, we invite you to check out our website, wpbiblefellowship.org. Thank you for listening and have a great week.